Welcome to Soundprints Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Soundprints is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushable. I'm your host for this week's magazine. Welcome to Soundprints for the week of March 28, 2021. All of the following events are virtual. Participate from your computer, cell phone, or landline on Zoom by dialing 669-900-6833 and entering code 862-9889-6972. Friday evening roundabouts for the month of April include an Easter egg hunt and other fun spring activities on April 2, bingo on April 9, the GLCB quarterly meeting and elections on April 16, and page-turners where everyone is welcome to come and share good books on April 26. The KCCLV, Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision, will hold its bi-monthly business meeting on Tuesday, April 6, at 8 p.m., and its first Low Vision Support Group meeting on Wednesday, April 7, at 7.30 p.m. Savvy, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired in Owensboro, will hold its April meeting on Tuesday, April 12, from 1 to 3 p.m. Central Time, and the Tri-State Library Users Book Club and Business Meeting will take place on Saturday, April 17, at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. The book Tri-State is reading this month is All My Patients Kick and Bite by Jeff Wells. Grab a copy from Bard or Bookshare and enjoy some humorous glimpses into the life of a veterinarian. The Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Monthly Business Meeting is on April 10 at 11 a.m. The Kentucky Council of the Blind Board of Directors Meeting is Monday, April 19 at 8 p.m. And the next GDUKI, Guide Dog Users of Kentuckyana Meeting, is on Monday, April 26 at 7 p.m. Again, all meetings are on the KCB Zoom line as given above. KCB's next Crossroads Conference will be on Saturday, April 10, also on the KCB Zoom line, beginning at 2 p.m. Eastern. Entitled, There Ain't No Mouse in My Clubhouse, this is a great chance for chapters and affiliates to learn ways to use the new Clubhouse app that's all the rage right now to make new contacts on many different levels. This is an amazing public relations opportunity for all of us. And Jeff Bishop from Seattle, Washington, member of the ACB Board of Directors and the ACB Radio Management Team, and most importantly, a clubhouse aficionado, will introduce the app and suggest exciting ways that we can use it to build our organizations. Registration for this Crossroads is now open, so get in the driver's seat, Put the key in the ignition and call KCB to register by Wednesday, April 7, to reserve your seat at the crossroads. For more information about Roundabout and other Greater Louisville Council of the Blind activities, the Savvy Chapter in Owensboro, the Tri-State Library Users, and the Guide Dog Users of Kentuckyana, both statewide chapters of the Kentucky Council of the Blind, and to register for the Clubhouse Crossroads, Call us at 502-895-4598. For reminders and announcements about these and other events, including the Zoom link and dial-in information for connecting to the calls from your landline, smartphone, or computer, join the KCB email list by sending a subscription request to kcb at 
kentucky-acb.org or by completing the list subscription form on any page of the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. You will also find posts on our lists about technology, scholarships, new devices, news from ACB and other organizations, and much more. We send one or two messages each day, so we'll keep you up to date without flooding your inbox. Article 1, 2021 Friends in Art Virtual Showcase. Want to perform? 2021 Friends in Art Virtual Showcase. Once again, FIA's Showcase of the Performing Arts will be a highlight of ACB's Virtual 2021 Conference and Convention. Interested in being included? Please read on for details. Please send material you want to be included in the showcase to showcase, S-H-O-W-C-A-S-E, at friendsinart, F-R-I-E-N-D-S-I-N-A-R-T dot O-R-G. Materials might include music, any style, original material, especially welcomed. Your selection may either be sent as an email attachment, or you may send us a link from which the piece can be uploaded. Please accompany your musical selection with your name, city and state, email address, and a brief description of the piece that you are sending to be used to introduce the piece. Prose and Poetry Original works preferred, especially if read by the author. Your work may either be sent as an email attachment, or you may send us a link from which the performance can be uploaded. Please accompany your work with your name, city and state, email address, and a brief description of the work that you are sending to be used to introduce the performance. Deadline, June 1, 2021. In order to make it more likely that your selection will be included in the showcase, please note, one, each selection should not exceed five minutes, including the description of the work you are asking us to consider. Two, we will consider including two contrasting short works if together they do not exceed five minutes. Three, we prefer up-tempo to slow, but will consider anything. Four, this is family entertainment. No profanities. Five, we aim for a show of around 20 selections of varying styles. Originality, professionalism, and flair count. Six, please note that the ACB Radio production team reserves the right to do editing or audio processing at their discretion in order to assure that the audience will get a high-quality broadcast. Authors, if you need assistance recording your work, we might be able to assist. Please email us as soon as possible at showcase at friendsinart.org. The showcase is scheduled to air on Friday, July 16 at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. We will contact you well before then to let you know if you will be included in the show and or if we need additional information. Questions? Please email us at showcase at friendsinart.org. Thanks for your interest. We look forward to receiving your material. ACB Families holds two events each month via Zoom. One meeting handles planning of future activities and the other organizational business that needs to be done. 
The other is a program or discussion on a topic of interest to members of ACB families. At our March 21 meeting, Dave Wilkinson of Louisville, Kentucky, known to many of us for his expertise in technology for the blind and visually impaired, spoke about his other life, that of training for and participating in Ironman competitions. Dave is a highly entertaining speaker, and the March 21 presentation was no exception. If you couldn't attend that meeting, we know you would have enjoyed it had you been there. So, we've included an edited version on page 2. You'll find two items from the Internet on page 3. First comes an article about lawsuits being brought against Apple by a developer of an accessible app for the blind. The other is information about a structured negotiation agreement between ACB, the Bay State Council of the Blind, and Kim and Brian Charlson that is greatly expanding audio-described content on HBO Max, YouTube, and other Warner content providers. We hope that you enjoy this week's edition of Sound Prints and that you'll come back and listen again next week for more information and news. Page 2. Well, good evening, everybody, and I love your theme, Get Up and Get Moving. It's something physical activity goes without saying is extraordinarily important in my life, but it always hasn't been that way. Uh, and I want you to, when, as we're doing this this evening, uh, one of the downsides of doing something like this is you're thinking, man, I could never do something like that. And you may never even want to do something like an Ironman. They're, they're painful and they take a long time and they're expensive. But the more important part of all of this is just to be doing some sort of physical activity. So don't think just because you've got some guy here this evening who is doing these silly triathlons that it's something that you have to do as well. Uh, Let's get the basics out of the way and 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 define an Ironman. Uh, it is trademarked. Uh, there is a company that owns Ironman and all that kind of good stuff. So it's a it's a they have very uh, they, they have very specific requirements that have to be met for something to be an Ironman. It's a 2.4 mile swim, followed by a 112 mile bike ride, followed by a full marathon, which is running 26.2 miles. And at the end of all that, you go home and you try to go to sleep, unless you're me, and I couldn't because I was so amped up uh, that I didn't sleep for probably 14 hours after the thing was over, and I was dead tired. Uh, but it was just one of those things where you were too too amped up to sleep. Now, the next question that one would ask in something like this is, why would anybody on earth possibly want to do something like this? And the answer to that question is a little bit more involved, and I'm going to take about 20 minutes to try to describe how I got to this point, Uh, because fitness wasn't always important in my life. Uh, When I was in college and right after college, when I was in my 20s, I smoked as much as my asthmatic lungs would allow me to smoke. Um, I drank too much, and physical fitness was about the furthest thing from my mind. Uh, until I started a new job at American University in 1996. And part of that job was going to mean that I needed to, I was going to be getting a new computer and it was going to be lots of technical stuff that I didn't understand. And I went to the ACB National Convention in Houston for the sole purpose of getting caught up on uh, current technologies so that I could have an office that was going to be uh, workable. And so in the process of going to that exhibit hall, I met someone who was with a group called Ski for Light. 
And if you haven't heard from Ski for Life, they're an amazing organization. They match up blind skiers and guides, and they do a number of events across the country and in some cases out of the country. And they have an international event for a week every year. And she made it sound really exciting, and there was going to be free beer. So I went to the reception and uh, probably had a couple and got really excited about the thought and the possibility of skiing and decided that this sounded like something that might be entertaining. And so I decided I was going to go to Ski for Light and learn how to do cross-country skiing, which meant that I was going to have to get into a little bit of shape. And for reasons that made absolutely no sense, uh, I was in charge of a fitness center in the building that I worked in at American University. And uh, it was supposed to be staffed by students, which didn't work out so well. And I was spending tons of time down in the place. And I figured if I'm going to be down here all the time, I may as well start to work out. And so I started lifting weights and uh, running on treadmills and just sort of making up a training regime as I was going along. Got into some semblance of shape before going to a Ski for Light event in the winter of, uh, two, of 1997. And when I finally got to ski, I'd been fantasizing about what it would feel like on skis and was worried if I was going to be any good and all this kind of stuff. And when I finally got out on skis, it, it felt like flying. And uh, it's still the most freeing thing I've ever done in my life. Uh, and I absolutely love skiing. There's nothing that comes anywhere close to, to cross-country skiing in my, in my book. But uh, I and, – and I did ski for a number of years. And I had a failed attempt to make the Paralympic U.S. Uh, ski team in 2002 and did a ton of skiing for a number of years. And then moved to Arkansas where skiing wasn't – particularly popular or doable since there was no snow and uh, decided almost randomly uh, in about in the spring of 2007 to do my first 5k road race uh, running race since high school Um, the place I was working at helped me find a guide Uh, I've been working out on and off for the last few years and figured I wasn't in too bad a shape I met my guide probably about a half hour before the race and somewhere in between miles one and two, he told me that he did marathons, and he thought it'd be really fun to guide a blind runner, blind runner through a marathon, and he asked if I was interested. And I wasn't totally out of breath yet, so I said, sure, I'll do that. And uh, that began an eight-year relationship uh, with Jacob Wells, who became much, much more than just a, a guide for me. Uh, we basically became brothers. And we acted like brothers. Uh, we told stupid jokes. We went through a phase where we didn't speak to each other. Uh, we listened to bad 80s hairband music. Um, and we ran all the time. I have no idea how many miles we ran together. And when we ran, we would run with a tether that was just strapped around both of our wrists. And he would give me directions and I would follow them. Uh, and there, Jacob had no filter, and, and having two people that have no filters running together was beyond entertaining. Uh, and most of the unfiltered comments would be utterly inappropriate for uh, this broadcast, so we'll skip them for the moment. But we ran through sunshine, sleet, rain, hail, you name it, because his mantra was you could never tell what it was going to do on race day. And on March the 4th, 2007, I completed my first marathon. He completed his 30th. He guided me through the Little Rock Marathon, and it was amazing. 
it, it was an absolutely incredible feeling to to finish that. It also hurt like heck, um, but that's you know no pain no gain. And uh, Jacob and I kept going. We ran a number of races together. We did a whole lot of we we ran marathons, half marathons. We would just we'd run anything. Uh, we ran our last race together in March of 2013. Again, it was the Little Rock Marathon. Uh, I'm sorry, March of 2014. Dawn, my wife, and I had moved to Kentucky uh, in 2013, and I went back to Arkansas to run the Little Rock Marathon with Jacob, and it was sleeting, it was lightning, it was freezing cold, and it was windy, and it was awesome. And it ended up being the last race that we ever ran together uh, because a few months later at mile 19 of Jacob's 153rd marathon, he collapsed and never regained consciousness. Uh, Jacob had literally run so much that he physically, his heart expanded and got too big. Um, and it didn't connect properly to the circulatory system and it killed him. And his loss devastated me. Uh, there's still a hole uh, where Jacob used to be. Uh, the world is much quieter without him. And when I'm running or when I'm lifting and when I'm doing things now, I still, I can still hear Jacob's voice in my head. We're going to jump forward a few years to, or a few years to December of 2017, uh, December the 13th to be exact, which was an ordinary morning and a day that I was really looking forward to. I was working as a, training manager for an assistive technology company, and I was constantly on the road. We added it up later, and I'd been on the road for something like 41, 42 weeks that year, and I had a rare day where I was getting to do some local travel, and I was supposed to go from my house to Paoli, Indiana, to work with a student and his teacher. It was a 52-mile uh, trip. I called Lyft, hopped in the back seat, and we never got there. Uh, in Floyd County, we were hit by a driver who had fallen asleep at the wheel, veered across the highway, uh, and totaled our car, totaled his car, and for good measure, totaled two more uh, for a grand total of four. And uh, so you had cars and parts and stuff all over the place, and out of it all, miraculously, only one person sustained any significant injuries, me. Uh, upon the impact of the car, I, my right hand went numb, and uh, later on, I started having severe neck, uh, shoulder, and upper body pains. I had no way of knowing it at the time, but I'd just broken two vertebrae in my neck, and I had in, and I had seriously damaged two more. So, uh, part of what was really part of what really hurt about this, besides uh, the fact that I was all banged up, is that I was supposed to leave two days at Little Rock to run in a race that was in memory of Jacob. And at some point, apparently that afternoon, I tried to talk doctors into dosing me up with morphine, putting me on a plane and having someone push me through the marathon in Little Rock, which they promptly rejected, uh, which is probably a good thing. But the, the accident, I'd always sort of harbored a feeling in the back of my mind that I was probably invincible. And this accident put a serious uh, dent into that. And scared the heck out of me and also made life pretty difficult for a while. Uh, stairs were scary. I was petrified of falling. Uh, if I dropped something, someone else had to pick it up. 
Uh, I couldn't sleep because I was wearing a neck brace and I could never get comfortable. I was in pain. My right hand didn't work. Um, Dawn got permission to work at home so that she could be there and take care of me and make sure I didn't do anything particularly dumb that would like, I was always trying to like go outside and just take off and just do whatever because I was bored. Uh, and I hate it mainly because I hated feeling vulnerable and I, I just was miserable. Uh, the next several months involved a lot of physical therapy, feeling in my right hand, uh, started to come back and the control of my hand started to come back. Uh, I do still have some permanent damage that results in it being, uh, difficult to read. There's still enough numbness there that my reading, uh, capabilities have been severely damaged. But considering what could have happened, I was extraordinarily lucky. I tell you all this because it led to uh, – I, I was trying to find a way to, be, to, to become invincible again. And I was at dinner one night in Toronto of 2017 with a blind colleague who stated rather matter-of-factly that she had just completed an Ironman. And she was about my age, didn't seem that much better shape than me. And I decided on the spot that if she could do an Ironman – I could do an Ironman, and I was going to do the Louisville Ironman in October of 2018, which gave me a year to get ready for it, which I really liked because she said that it took her two years to get ready for an Ironman. So I figured if she could do it in two, I could do it in one. Uh, the problem with all this is that I didn't really know anything about how to go about doing an Ironman. Uh, I didn't know what type of training was going to be involved. I needed a coach so that I wouldn't have to do all the research to find out about the training involved. I, I called a guy named Mike Hermanson. Mike and I had run the Louisville Marathon a few years before. I have no idea how we got paired together. Mike doesn't remember how we got paired together. We met right before the race. And somewhere in the middle of the race, when marathons, and you're, you're just kind of running tied together, you can't escape each other. And in the middle, a lot of time in the middle of the race, the running is going pretty good and the crowd thins out and you've sort of got the rhythm of the day under control and you've got time to actually find it is, find out who this person is at the other end of the rope. And as it turned out, uh, Mike was a professional triathlete. He had competed in numerous Ironman competitions. He still did. And better yet, he coached people on how to do this stuff. And I remembered all this, and I called him up, and I'm like, dude, I need to hire you as a coach, and I need your help finding a guide so that I can do an Ironman because it's just that time of my life. And Mike agreed to actually do the thing with me. And so in one phone call, I landed a coach, and I got a guide, which was an extraordinary uh, piece of luck. But there was still a ton of other stuff uh, to do with this. I uh, – for starters, I didn't have a tandem bike, and I was going to need a tandem bike to be able to do the biking part of this. I didn't have uh, – well, well, I didn't know how to swim, um, which was going to be kind of a problem. I had no idea of the technical side of things that were going to be involved in making this happen. So I was getting into something that I, simply, that I knew nothing about and needed to learn how to do in a just super fast. And Iron Man took over my life. Uh, and some of this gets a little bit technical, so bear with me here. I've, cut, I've, I've tried to make it as simple as I can. Uh, but the way that this work, it works, uh, when you hire a coach, the coach wants as much data about you as they can get. And Mike uses an app called Training Peaks, 
which has some serious accessibility issues. Training Peaks, if you're listening to this, get in touch with me. I'll show you how much your app could use some improvement. But I needed to use Training Peaks because that's how Mike collected his data. So I needed to find apps that were accessible that I could then use for Training Peaks. Uh, for running, my treadmill connected to an app called RunFit. RunFit would send information from the run, how far I'd gone, how fast I'd gone, my cadence, all that stuff, right to Training Peaks, one down. Uh, for swimming, although I didn't know how to swim, I bought an Apple Watch to keep track of all of my, the, the data for swimming, and I could put it into a little comment section in Training Peaks and manually enter it. The bike was going to be a whole different story. Uh, I needed to have a, a bike that I could ride in my basement when I didn't have guides I could ride with me. So I bought a street bike uh, that was a pretty good bike and then took this 45-pound piece, 45 piece of metal called a Wahoo Smart Trainer and stuck it on the back of the, where the tire needed to be on the back and buried inside of the Wahoo Kicker Smart Trainer is a small computer. And what that computer does is keep track of how fast you're pedaling, how hard you're pedaling, what the resistance is, all of that kind of stuff. It can also be controlled remotely so that Mike could send me a workout. It would come to my phone through an app that was more accessible than Training Peaks. It would then get uploaded to Training Peaks. It would go to my bike. I would lose all control of the resistance on the bike. Mike would customize these workouts for me. And then at the end of the workout, Mike would get a spreadsheet through Training Peaks that would show how well I'd done with the workout. Again, you know, how much power I was generating, how fast I was pedaling, uh, everything. If I'd stopped, all that kind of good, all that kind of good stuff. So this is all sort of happening as I'm also trying to figure out how to swim. Um, and so I started taking swimming lessons and discovered that one of the effects of the accident was that I could only turn my head far enough to the left to, to breathe out of the water, out of the water on my left-hand side. So I was going to have to get used to breathing on only one side, which is not usually a problem, but it can be a problem if you've got lots of people that are kicking water in your face on the left, on the left side when you're swimming among a bunch of people. My vision, and I have virtually no vision, but I had just a, a teeny, I, I have just enough vision to be able to see those little lanes on the bottom of the pool for being able to stay in lanes. And so I could see well enough, sort of kind of was only hitting the walls occasionally to be able to swim laps in a local pool. And so I started taking swimming lessons, learned how to swim, uh, got used to having jammed thumbs from when I misjudged things and slammed into the wall. Uh, and things just sort of started going very well. Ironman routine is long and it's tedious but it's ever-changing. And so every day, every day when I got up, I would look in my inbox and I would have a workout from Mike. And it would usually involve two of the three, running, biking, or swimming. Uh, I'd work out for a couple of hours after I finished my work day. And then weekends were just devoted to working out. I would spend afternoons in my basement or at the pool or wherever, uh, and I would just work out. And I did whatever Mike told me to do, and I didn't think twice about it. The middle of the spring, swimming was, was going okay. I'd gone from horrible to moderately acceptable. The bike riding was going well. The running was going well. And we started to think about doing a, uh, a small triathlon. 
And so we signed up for a sprint triathlon. The sprint triathlon is a 12-mile bike ride. It's an 800-meter swim, 12-mile bike ride, and a, a 10K, so it's six miles. So it's not that big of a deal, except that we'd never swam together. And I'd had some issues with sort of panic attacks with swimming uh, on my own, but I just I didn't worry about it. And I just figured, whatever. Mike and I had never swam together. And when you swim with another person, you're literally tied to them with a rope as your guide. And why we thought it was a good idea to do a triathlon before we had ever tried to swim together, I have no idea. It was not our smartest move. And we're standing, this was the, the 800 meters were in a pool. We're standing in this pool and it was loud. It was noisy. It was disjointed. I, 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 and I panicked and I, I just freaked. And about 25 meters into our, our 800 meter swim, I stopped and I put my feet down and I yelled, I don't want to do this. And Mike very calmly yelled, it's a little late to decide you're going to do that now, dog paddle. So I did. Uh, and I would try to put my head underwater and the walls would start to crush in around me and I'd freak out and I'd bring, take my head out of the water. It was the longest 800 meters of my life. And I was pretty convinced afterward that I was going to get fired as an athlete, that Mike was just going to have had enough. And in just a wonderful way that Mike is just very, I don't know how to describe Mike other than he's, he's just always even keel. He was just like, swimming can be scary. Let's go. And that was the end of it, uh, which was it, 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 scary. But, uh, you know, I figured, what the heck, I'll take it. When you swim Ironman, it's an open water swim, which means you're swimming in the river. And so I started swimming in the river. I got folks to swim with. I started having more problems with panic attacks. I would get out in open water. The walls would just close in, and I just felt like I couldn't breathe. So I discovered Xanax, which helped tremendously with uh, sort of calming things down a bit uh, before, doing, uh, before swims. And uh, so we signed up for a second triathlon, which involved doing a mile and a, a, mile and a fifth swim in the river and I think it was like a 30 mile bike ride and I can't remember how long the run was it didn't matter all I cared about was the swimming and I took my Xanax and we hopped in the water and we tied ourselves together and off we went and it was terrible but it was survivably terrible and so I was starting to feel pretty good about things and uh at that point Iron Man was just I think six eight weeks away and we'd kind of mastered the whole swimming thing where I was only afraid of it instead of deeply terrified. And so we were ready to go. And I, I could see the end in sight. And uh, we had a whole batch of T-shirts made up that say Speedy Turtle because that's what I feel like towards the end of a race. Um, my sisters said they were going to come in for the race. And uh, everything was, was golden until two days before the Ironman when algae and sludge and other nasty stuff in the river made them cancel the swim and which just proved that I'd been right all along that swimming was indeed unhealthy and I was kind of relieved and I was also crushed uh I'd worked really hard on that swim and I wanted that swim and I wasn't going to get it so you know at that point you just figure you get what you get I'm going to take this thing in stride and we're just going to do it. We did. And I think it probably took a ton of pressure off of doing it. And the, the, the morning of Iron Man was, 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 was gorgeous. I kissed my wife, hugged my sisters and off we went. We had an amazing bike ride 
And then you come back in between stages, you run back into this little tent and you've got everything is, and there's no way of describing this, but everything is just down to, it's incredibly organized. You know exactly where your stuff is. You know exactly where your bike is. Everything is marked out and it doesn't, it, it doesn't vary. And you zoom back in and you really don't change clothes in between like the, the, the bike and the run or anything. You just change shoes and off you go. And the, the first half of the run went really well, probably the first 14 or 15 miles. And then it started to sort of slow down a little bit. And a few miles later, we were walking. And I just figured I don't care. I don't care if I finish in 4,575th place or 5,273rd place or whatever it's going to be. The finish line is coming up, and we're going to cross it. And the afternoon stretched into evening. And it was dark, and the streetlights came on, and we made it. And it was absolutely epic. But what I learned out of it is that it was a team effort all the way. Uh, if I was invincible, it was because we were invincible. My wife had an incredible amount of patience. She put up with hours and hours of loud music in the basement from bad rock groups. She made sure that I had Gatorade. Uh, she would come and check on me and make sure that I had water. Uh, she would tell me that things were okay when I had bad workouts. She would celebrate with me when I had good workouts. She's just the most incredibly patient, wonderful person alive. I had friends that would back me, that were behind me on this. My sisters, it was really sweet for them to come in. I had friends who would just call in to see what the workouts were for the day. And it was just, it, it, was, it was an amazing experience to have that type of level of support behind you. But the swim had gotten canceled. And so as a result, I signed up for Louisville Ironman 2020. We all know what happened in 2020. Shocking news, Ironman didn't happen. COVID kind of killed the whole thing. And, uh, and now Louisville doesn't have an Ironman anymore. So I've signed up for the Sacramento Ironman in 2021. I have a new guide, Mike and his wife just had their second baby, and Mike is not doing another Ironman. So I've found another guide, a gentleman by the name of Julian, and we are still both waiting for to, to finish up on our vaccinations before we actually start training together. And then we'll start uh, riding and running and tying ourselves together and jumping into the river and swimming. I could keep going about all kinds of bizarre things, uh, in Iron Man, there there are so many just odd things. Uh, one of the one of the weirdest ones being, and this is a little it's a little gross, but this is the way athletes are. I do not fall into this group, but a lot of a, a lot of athletes consider the porta potties along the side to be there for decoration. And if they need to pee, they just pee. I'm like, man, I can't do that. Um, and one of the first times that we were on a tandem bike, Mike just very casually announced up on the front of the bike. Well, I guess I can't pee. It'll blow back on you. I'm like, well, thank you. I'm really glad to hear that you're taking me into consideration. And uh, there's just some really strange things that triathletes do. They'll, you know, professionals will do anything to shave off time, and that was just one of them. Uh, you learn tons about your guide uh, as you're doing this. It's a, it's a very intimate relationship. You're as close as you can possibly be for incredibly long periods of time and you build up an unbelievable amount of trust in each other uh, and faith in each other. And you have to have that in order to make this work. 
I could keep going about just sort of different silly things that are a part of this, but at this point, we'll open it up for questions. But understand that I've been extraordinarily fortunate to be able to do this. It took just the right set of circumstances to be able to do it. And when you're looking at at getting up and getting moving, don't think you have to start with something like this. It took me a long time to get to that point. So we'll open it up and take questions. And uh, for those of you who don't stick around for the questions bit, thank you all again for letting me hang out with you this evening. Page three, maker of keyboard apps for the blind sues Apple, claiming anti-competitive behavior. This is from the Washington Post and was forwarded to us by the email list from the Independent Visually Impaired Enterprisers, an affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. Visually Impaired Accessible Technology, Google News, Friday, March 19, 2021. Maker of keyboard apps for the blind sues Apple, claiming anti-competitive behavior. Washington Post, Kathy Gillens, Associated Press. The maker of FlickType, a keyboard for the Apple Watch, sued Apple on Wednesday for allegedly abusing its market power, adding to the growing opposition to the way Apple runs its App Store. FlickType, which allows Apple Watch users to type directly on their watch face, says it was praised by Apple and presented the technology at Apple's headquarters in 2019. But then... Quote, Apple threw up roadblocks after roadblocks that made no sense, the lawsuit alleges, keeping the technology out of the App Store for nearly a year. Then, when the app finally found success, it was undercut by copycat and scam applications, which used allegedly fake App Store reviews to boost downloads, according to the suit. FlickType also is suing Apple for fraud. Quote, Apple's promise to help developers build, test, market, and distribute their products and grow their business through a secure, trusted, and accessible marketplace is just a facade designed to wrongly entice developers to the App Store, the lawsuit says. Apple did not respond to requests for comments. The developers of FlickType are the latest to come out swinging against the powerful tech giant and its App Store, the exclusive distribution method for software on iPhones, iPads, and Apple Watches. From Blix, the little-known developer of email software, to Epic Games, the maker of video games, Fortnite, companies operating on the App Store are taking Apple to court and joining coalitions aimed at forcing the $2 trillion company to allow competing app stores. Blix and Epic are part of the Coalition for App Fairness, which has argued that Apple should be forced to allow alternative app stores and payment systems. Apple has so far escaped the fate of its big tech brethren, such as Google, and Facebook, which are facing massive antitrust lawsuits brought by the U.S. government, but competition probes focused on the App Store loom. The U.S. Justice Department and State Attorneys General 
began a probe of the company last summer. U.S. lawmakers are still mulling whether to take action against the company after releasing a 449-page report that accused Apple of using its monopoly to exploit app developers by competing against them on an uneven playing field and charging them exorbitant fees on sales on its platform. Apple has denied anti-competitive behavior and defended its App Store policies. It says it must control software distribution through the App Store to protect its customers' privacy and security and to keep out undesirable or misleading apps. In the lawsuit Epic brought against Apple, for instance, Apple's lawyers argued that part of the company's defense that Apple's App Store policies protect Apple's customers and that every app is reviewed by experts, which helps make the store the world's most trusted marketplace for apps. But FlickType's lawsuit alleges Apple's defense is disingenuous. Apple justifies its monopoly by claiming it is necessary to protect its users and developers from unscrupulous conduct and ensure a fair competitive marketplace for the benefit of both, the lawsuit says. In truth, Apple turns a blind eye to rampant fraud and exploitation to make an easy profit. FlickType was created by a veteran app developer named Costa K-O-S-T-A Eleftherio E-L-E-F-T-H-E-R-I-O-U Eleftherio whose father has limited vision, began developing keyboards that could be used for the blind and visually impaired. In 2009, he created his first app in the space, called BlindType, which allowed smartphone users to type without looking at the screen by analyzing the location of finger taps to predict which words the user was trying to type. Apple sought to acquire BlindType, according to the lawsuit, but Eleftherio sold it to Google in 2010. Eleftherio went on to create a new typing system for the blind called Flexi, F-L-E-K-S-Y, which in 2012 received an award from the Royal National Institute of Blind People and was honored by Apple, according to the suit. The app was acquired by Pinterest where Eleftherio worked until 2017. After leaving Pinterest, Eleftherio set out to use his keyboard experience to build one for the Apple Watch. Apple included a way to type on the Apple Watch by drawing letters on the screen, but Eleftherio said he found that method too slow. Eleftherio created FlickType, which he first launched on the iPhone in April 2018. He waited until the fall to add Apple Watch compatibility when an updated version of the watch offered a larger screen and a more powerful processor that Eleftherio believed would support his FlickType technology. He updated FlickType to include Apple Watch capability and Apple approved the update. Although FlickType was meant to ultimately become a mainstream keyboard, Eleftherio said in an interview he primarily marketed it to the blind and visually impaired. 
He planned to update it and improve it over time, he said. But he alleges there were limitations imposed by Apple on how the app could be used. For instance, his lawsuit says that to respond to a text message on a third-party keyboard, users have to launch the app. From there, they can send a message. Because of Apple's limitations, Illithereo believed one good outcome for his invention would be an acquisition by Apple. In January 2019, Illithereo met with Randy Marsden, Apple's text input special projects manager, according to the lawsuit. Marsden is a keyboard entrepreneur himself, having founded Swipe, S-W-Y-P-E, then Drift, D-R-Y-F-T, which he sold to Apple. Marsden was excited about FlickType, according to the lawsuit, and told Eleftherio it should be a key feature of the watch. According to the lawsuit, Marsden told Eleftherio that Apple should buy his app and that he hoped it wouldn't be too expensive. On January 24, Marsden told Eleftherio he presented FlickType to the Apple Watch team, including a senior engineering manager on the product side, that it had gone well and he would be discussing it with his boss, the lawsuit says. Eleftherio believed Apple might offer to acquire the app and his technology. But when Eleftherio improved the Flick-type Apple Watch keyboard to make it more useful to a broader audience beyond just the visually impaired, Apple refused to allow it into the App Store on the grounds that the Apple Watch keyboards were not allowed. Eleftherio said Apple approved other Apple Watch keyboards at the time, such as Shift Keyboard Swipe and Type. Apple would not explain to Eleftherio why other apps that did the same thing were being approved, and his was not, according to the lawsuit. The opaque nature of the app review process at Apple is one of the key complaints of mobile developers. While he was barred from the store, Eleftherio allowed other developers of Apple Watch apps, such as Chirp, to use the FlickType keyboard as a feature. He viewed the strategy as a way to market his technology and draw attention to his product. It wasn't until January of 2020, about a year later, that Apple finally allowed the full version of the FlickType keyboard on the App Store. Eleftherio doesn't know why it was suddenly accepted. It quickly became successful in less than a month. It generated $130,000 and was the top paid app in the U.S. App Store on three days in February 2020, according to market research firm App Figures, A-P-P-F-I-G-U-R-E-S. But the success didn't last. Copycat apps that were barely usable and meant to scam users appeared on the App Store and hurt FlickType's downloads the lawsuit alleges, and the apps were allegedly bolstered by high ratings because of fake reviews, the suit says. Eleftherio said in an interview that he analyzed the ratings of those apps and discovered patterns suggesting they were inauthentic. 
In some cases, for instance, the written reviews were almost entirely negative, while the non-written reviews were almost always five stars. The alleged presence of scam apps and fake reviews stands in stark contrast to Apple's marketing, the suit says, which promises users that the App Store is a safe and trusted place. Despite processing massive resources and technological savvy, Apple intentionally fails to police these fraudsters, costing honest developers millions and perhaps billions, while Apple continues to amass huge profits for itself, the lawsuit alleges. Because Apple limits the functionality of all outside keyboard apps on the Apple Watch, he says some users complain and his overall ratings on the App Store is 3.5 stars. The copycat apps, one of which popped up just a few weeks ago, have five-star ratings because of what Epitherio alleges are fake reviews. On Wednesday, he decided he had no other options. He filed suit. The following press release was distributed by the American Council of the Blind on March 26, 2021. Entitled, HBO Max Rolls Out Audio-Described Contents. Customers who are blind will notice many new features, with more on the horizon. Advocates for people who are blind applaud Warner Media's first delivery date of significant upgrades in the landmark agreement signed last October by Warner Media, the American Council of the Blind, ACB, the Massachusetts-based Bay State Council of the Blind, BSCB, and individual claimants, Kim and Brian Charlson. These blind individuals and advocacy organizations were represented by Disability Rights Advocates, DRA, a national nonprofit legal center, and Disability Law Center, the Protection and Advocacy Agency of Massachusetts. Warner Media has pledged to increase the accessibility of HBO Max, and in the first phase of delivering on that promise, the streaming platform rolls out major enhancements this week, including nearly 1,500 hours of audio-described content on web and mobile platforms, including select HBO Originals, Max Originals, Warner Brothers Films, and some acquired content. Audio Description is a separate audio track that, when activated, provides a verbal description of visual elements on screen. For more on Audio Description, visit ACB's Audio Description Project on their website at acb.org. An audio description category will be prominently featured in the navigation menu. This prominent browse location will also increase awareness about the importance of audio description and accessibility. Improvements to the accessibility of the HBO Max website and mobile applications for individuals who are blind or have low vision and use screen reader software to navigate and interact with digital content. Screen reader software enables people who are blind or have low vision to access online services by rendering the content displayed visually on the screen as large print, synthetic text-to-base, 
or as digital braille on a braille display. Programming for compatibility with these types of assistive technologies is something website and app developers need to keep in mind. Addition of articles to the HBO Max help site specifically supporting customers with disabilities, including detailed instructions on how to perform certain tasks that may be unclear for some users. Training for HBO Max customer service specialists to help them better support customers with disabilities, including sensitivity training and training on assistive technology. Providing 1,500 hours of audio description content is a major commitment to access for Warner Media. Select programming released in the launch with audio description includes His Dark Materials, Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice, Dunkirk, Euphoria, Love Life, Sesame Street, and many other titles. Warner Media will continue building on these improvements in the months and years to come. Later this year, HBO Max plans to make audio description available across all supported Internet-connected TVs. Furthermore, audio description is now being created for all new HBO and Max original programming, and customers can expect 3,000 hours of described content to be available by the end of March 2022, doubling again to at least 6,000 hours in total by the end of March 2023. In addition, over the next few months, Accessibility of the HBO Max website, mobile apps, and applications for supported Internet-connected TVs will continue to be improved for individuals who are blind or have low vision or use screen reader software to navigate and interact with digital content. While screen reader users may still experience difficulties with setting up an account following this week's updates, those problems should be resolved in the coming months. Dan Spoon, president of the American Council of the Blind, commented, This process has been extremely positive and will open many doors for individuals who are blind or visually impaired to both enjoy what HBO Max has to offer in terms of entertainment and education, while also allowing our community to share equally with family and friends in the truly universal pastime of viewing television and movies. By working together to bring thousands of additional hours of audio description content to HBO Max, along with the improved accessibility of the website, mobile apps, and smart TV interfaces, Warner Media and blind advocates are providing meaningful access to a significant aspect of our modern-day world. At HBO Max, our goal is to let storytelling take center stage, and for each and every subscriber to be able to enjoy world-class content, regardless of how they access the platform, said Sarah Lyons, Executive Vice President, Direct-to-Customer Global Product Management. This month's initial accessibility improvements are only the first of many steps we plan on taking to improve the experience for all workers. We encourage continual consumer feedback as it is critical to evolving the product and supporting all of our valued customers. Staff attorney Meredith Weaver of Disability Rights Advocates said, 
We are excited to see the fruits of Warner Media's investment in accessibility over the last year and are encouraged by their demonstrated commitment to creating an exceptional experience for all customers. Tatum A. Pritchard of the Disability Law Center said, Warner Media's commitment to these improvements is a welcome and significant step towards greater accessibility for people who are blind or visually impaired to streaming content that serves as an important source of both enrichment and entertainment and information for our society. Blindness community members are encouraged to reach out to HBO Max customer service representatives with feedback and questions. The HBO Max Help Center has been made accessible and all feedback about audio description and screen reader access will make its way to HBO Max's accessibility team to guide them in prioritizing their work. Contacts are Meredith Weaver, Staff Attorney, Disability Rights Associates, 510-665-8644. M. Weaver at dralegal.org. Tatum A. Pritchard, Director of Litigation, Disability Law Center, 617-723-8455. T-P-R-I-T-C-H-A-R-D at dlc-ma.org. Kim Charlson, Immediate Press President, American Council of the Blind, 617-501-5752. Kim Charlson, K-I-M-C-H-A-R-L-S-O-N at acb.org. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, Call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prints. Have a great week, everybody.